Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything's Been Done podcast, conversations in cycling subculture. I'm your host, Dustin Klein, and today's episode is brought to you by Equality for All, Justice for George Floyd. Today's guest is a very special one. She is a pro cyclist, road warrior, and a plant whisperer. Please join me in welcoming, joining me. Oh, also, you can find her on Instagram, at Ivy Audrain. Please join me in welcoming Miss Idri Audrain. Welcome, Idri. I, <laughs> damn it. Hi, Dresden. <laughs> God, I did that twice. It's all right. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck. How's, uh, how's life? How you holding in? How you holding out? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, it's a weird time, and um, the global pandemic is weird, and... Our social climate is weird, and I'm hanging in there, man. How about you? Yeah, same, same. What It's like compounding on itself. Everyone's like angry and then angrier and broke and violent, and some people are loving. Do you remember New Year's Eve on 2019 and being like, yeah, this is going to be my year? Yeah. <laughs> How foolish we were. <laughs> All of it, because we're like, 2020, perfect vision. Fuck, it can't go wrong. There's no way. Hey, you, you, is that a cough? You want to use my thing? Here. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? You want a sip of this? Uh, you want to, we can share. Yeah, here, 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 here. <laughs> and what if I, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess I wanted to get a little context for you. We're just get the, 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 the bicycle wheel rolling. Yeah, this um, is a, a bicycle, you know culture podcast right i mean we gotta we should at least touch on it yeah maybe. Uh, i'm curious of what your first memory of cycling is sure so uh my folks actually met bike racing um and raced through a lot of my childhood and adolescence um it's pretty wild i i i can't confirm but i'm pretty sure that they met uh, on one of the Tulsa Tough courses uh, on Crybaby Hill. So they, they raced a lot in my childhood. And my first memory of being at a bike race was um, being like a five or six-year-old uh, race kid. Like all the race kids would hang out in, in like some field near a parking lot um, together while our parents would go race for several hours and we would just be there like unsupervised keeping each other company while our parents raced and I remember just like not liking uh <laughs> having to hang out in these like dusty fields with um with these other kids while my parents were off racing but yeah that's my my first memory of bikes <laughs> like if from you you were conceived on a bike ride it sounds like it's like <laughs> it's possible can't confirm <laughs> yeah it definitely um had uh, a, a big part of my, or yeah, had a big hand in my upbringing. And like, I have these memories of my brother and I, uh, in the back of, um, those Toyota vans, um, whatever, like the late eighties models were, they're like very pointy. Prevos. Yeah. Prevos. Yeah. Something they, like um, my folks like took all of the seats out of the back of, of, of one of those vans and just put a mattress back there. And there were like no speed limits on the Montana highways um, when we were kids. And they would just like throw us 
in the back of this van bounced around on this mattress driving to and from races and uh so yeah there were there was a lot of bike race attending when i was a kid um but never any racing until i was older wait where did they put the bikes on the van with the kids an enormous rack up top on the top and, and they would often yeah there it was like they maybe had like 12 bikes up there because they would drive their teammates bikes and their teammates Whoa. would like caravan or carpool in like little sedans with like four or five of them packed in there and then my folks would like drive everyone's bikes well were your parents ever professional racers or you yeah, know. my oh. my mom was, and my mom she raced uh, Orida, which was like one of the biggest women's uh, races um, in the early '90s, I think. Um, and she actually, up until recently, still raced as a Cat One, and we got to race together quite a bit. Um, and she she has like led me out to win some of my most memorable races uh before she kind of stopped racing she still rides a ton and we ride together and she she like has a avid spin class following like she teaches spin classes now and she does a lot of mentorship and loves to get people on bikes um but we haven't raced together in a few years that is fucking sick i can't believe you raced with your mom she's like your she's like the 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 where the ringer she's like oh follow me Stay with me, kid. <laughs> yeah, no, she was a lead out. And one of my uh, favorite memories of a bike race ever, um, the Tour of Walla Walla, which was a, um, a bigger regional stage race in Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, she um, led me out for this crit and it was like, it wasn't just a lead out. And it's, it's like, there, there are a lot of people that ride with their parents and some people that get to race with their parents, but like to race at this level and to like execute tactic with a parent is insane. And like was, she started this lead out like way too early and it was um, fields were like quite a bit bigger. Women's fields in like 2014, 15, 16 were were, uh, better, definitely better attended. So there were probably 40 or 50 women on this year. And she started her lead out with like almost an entire lap to go of this like kind of longer crit course. And she was like riding me off of her wheel without, with like a half a lap to go. And when you're getting a lead out and you're a sprinter, you like have cues that you give to your lead out, you know, to tell them to pick it up or to like keep it steady or to like back off because they're riding you off of their wheel. And I had to tell my mom like a couple times in this last three quarters of a lap to like back it off because she was going to ride her sprinter off of her wheel. She was like that strong as a 54 year old woman. And, um, she led me out and, um, I ended up winning the race and, I won and I turned around and looked and there's like two other women, um, a couple bike lengths back and my mom, a few more bike lengths back. And then the entire field is nowhere in sight. So like she decimated this entire pro one, two women's field all by herself in a matter of like three quarters of a lap with like teams of multiple riders. Like it was just like she and I, um, (laughs) 
it was definitely my favorite memory of bike racing with her. Yeah, talk about a bonding moment. Holy yeah. shit. There were there were a couple tears after that race. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's remarkable. I couldn't have like made that I guess I'd never even thought something like that would be possible. Of course it's possible, but like uh wow. Yeah. I don't know. That's like a really cool story. Yeah, it is. And I, I didn't think it was something like that would I mean, when I first started writing and when it was so like challenging for me and when it didn't come naturally for me, especially in the first like couple years, I, I definitely didn't perceive that to ever be possible. Like, I didn't think I was ever going to be on her level, um, let alone like racing with her. Um, so yeah, it's pretty wild. Did, did she, did she have a hand in you getting into starting to to, do, to race? Cause I don't think you started, you didn't like bike racing for a while and then eventually you ended up getting into it. Yeah. I just like, didn't like bikes as a kid. Like I was very pink and frilly and sparkly and didn't want to try hard and get dirty and get sweaty. And so my folks like tried to get me to ride bikes, but, um, they weren't very successful. And then I ended up playing college volleyball for a couple years and, um, it, it wasn't, it's not like a sustainable lifetime sport and I wasn't super healthy mm. and I was, um, had knee injuries and was overweight and not healthy. And my mom came to my college town where I was going to school and because there was a bike race there and she was just getting back into it. She had stopped for a handful of years and was like, I'm going to try, I'm going to try racing again. Um, and so I got to go watch her do this race and like help her in the feed zone, which was absolutely mortifying. (laughs) I thought they were going to like stop and pull over and have a snack and like take a break in the middle of this road race and be like, let's all just pull over. And, uh, competition's tough today. Let me tell you. Yeah. Let me just crack a banana. Anyone got any, you know, yeah. Let's put a layer on. No, it was, they obviously just like zoomed through this feed zone and, can't believe I successfully handed her a bottle without dropping it or like hurting anyone. Um, but it made me really want to try bike racing and try something different. So, um, yeah, she set me up on my first bike and, you know, put me in my first pair of clipless pedals and yeah, it really taught me how it works and, um, how to bike race and all of it. Did, did you end up on one of her old bikes or did you guys find... Yeah, I did. The first ride I did was on her, like, um, she still has it. It was one of the, like, mid-90s or early 90s specialized Olay that, um, it was, like, one of the first carbon bikes that they made. And it had, like, it has all these blue anodized bits. Like, the bottle cage bolts are blue anodized. And, like, the the quick-release skewer is blue anodized. And, um, yeah, it was, that bike was way too cool for me to be the first bike that I went on a ride on. (laughs) She still has it though. Like, is it just in the quiver? She's like, oh, I just rode that yesterday. No, it's like, it's like on, it's hanging up in the garage. I think she just can't let it go for sentimental reasons. Yeah, good. I, I was going to say, you should put that fucker up in the, in your spot. Like, the, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I love, I think bikes of like, you know, they're like functional art, especially after they've been used. Cause they have all these like wrinkles and like where they have like life all over them 
Yeah. And it's like so cool, you know, white wall with this awesome, and that bike has like a ton of history for your, it's like a family heirloom. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, I like that my bikes have like paint chips and scratches and like I've ridden them, you know? Yeah, yeah you got to earn all that stuff. It doesn't come yeah. for free. I mean, I guess they don't cost anything, but you got you to gotta get out there for them to happen, you know? Yeah. Uh, does your mom live in Missoula also? Yeah, she just lives a couple miles away, oh. which is really nice. Yeah. it it. When I moved from Portland back to Montana, um, you know, having family nearby was definitely a draw for me. But um, in reality, like, I just wanted to pick the best mountain town that I could think of that was fairly affordable and had like a little bit of culture and had rivers and hot springs and quick, easy access to trails and gravel roads, like from in town. And Missoula was like, not only one of the only things that I could think of, but like the best thing that I could think of. So um, it's nice that I also happened to pick a town uh, that my family is all near. Yeah. That's a, Hold on, I'm like booking a scene, making travel arrangements. <laughs> Don't go to Missoula, it's amazing. <laughs> it really is great here. And our we have the best local trail association called MTB Missoula. And I've oh, gotten to do man. some trail digging with them, which has been so cool to like have a hand in helping build these trails that I use and ride and to to, you know, like work on them and make them better and it makes me appreciate the trails that I ride so much more now because even like a simple bench trail, like now upon riding one, I'm like, those take like two days to build. Like yeah. this is different. <laughs> That's really cool. And then I, that perspective is so cool where you're like, I get to help out with them, which I, is really interesting around here. There's a, uh, you, you might know it in NWTA or something there's like this trail building association that is like the polar opposite of it. They're like, if you don't help build the trails, you can't ride them. And it's this very, like, it feels very confrontational. It's like, okay, I don't even want to mess with your thing. If you're going to be so like so many rules about it, 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 not to get too in the weeds on it, but that perspective of like, I get to help like, Hey, you, you can help if you want. Like it seems a little more like positive. Yeah. Well, and I get like, you know, one of my good buddies is the, the, the trail designer and like, I get why someone would get pushed to like having that perspective because like these, these guys just put their like heart and soul into like, well, Hey, it's so hard to find land to build trail on and people just take it for granted. They're yeah, like, yeah, um, that. like we build on Marshall mountain, which is a, a ski resort near right outside town. And um, it's actually private property. Um, and like, we're lucky enough that the owner is like, yeah, build trails. Sick. Like, have all this land, do what you want. Whoa. Like, that's unbelievable. It's yeah. so hard to find land. Like, you know, with Forest Park, like, it's hard to just even get bikes to be allowed to be somewhere, let alone design and build and execute your own trails. And, and yet there are still people out there that are like, this trail is too challenging. Like this new feature you put in is um, not writable. And we're like, oh, well, you know, trying to stay true to like the black diamond rating of this trail and like, sorry. And so I think that, you know, a lot of trail builders have been pretty badly burned with like criticism by folks that 
aren't out there building trail and don't know how hard it is and how inaccessible land to build trail really is, really is. So um, I, I get why some of those organizations are bombed and burned for sure. Do you, there is a trail rating system out there that you guys use? Yeah, there is. Is it same yeah. as Ski Hills? Uh, yeah, I think so. Green, well, circle, I, I don't think they utilize, green. you know, like the double, you, you know, how like ski runs sometimes are like double black diamond or like. Well, it's um, green circle, blue square, black diamond. That's right. But yeah. you guys use those three? Yeah. I think this oh. trail, you does trail forks you i think yeah i think the reason that we wait which came first did trail forks come first and start rating them that way or did trail builders start rating them that way first what what's trail forks dustin you don't know the egg the egg came first 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. this is why too was, yeah trail forks is a, a sick app that um you know local local folks uh, i think there are local administrators that help um upload and rate and document these i don't think they do it for pavement or shoot maybe they do multi-sport and multi-disciplines but for tri- for riding mountain bikes like they document and rate and report like current conditions oh, on whoa. mountain bike trails and gravel roads and oh. it's a really cool network when you're especially in a town that you haven't been before to see like what are these good trails how can i make this a loop um you know is this within my ability level lots of people put in like pictures of like like there's a drop on this on this uh trail like don't ride it if you're not comfortable and it, it's great for people to like go find a new trail and be comfortable riding it with that kind of resource it's really cool it's like a wave report for mountain biking or it, yeah. i don't know if those there's a wave app for like surfers yeah what did I, yeah. I meant to say surfing i don't know if i said that but yeah <laughs> um <laughs> it sounds like it's almost it's like a more curated version of ride with gps i mean it's kind yeah. of different but ride with gps you can use so things like that are really good if you're traveling because you're like, oh, this new place, like, where can I go? And it's also good because you can access, you can, like, go offline. And if you oh. don't have phone service, you can still know what trail you're on. It uses GPS then? Yes. Yeah, massive. Which is clutch because there's, turns out, a lot of places where there's gravel roads and mountain bikes, there isn't great, you know, phone they, reception. So yeah, it generally goes cool. hand in hand. Like, you want to ride the good stuff, no Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then started what so you started racing with your through your mom with your mom kind of and yeah. then like did you you kind of just got hooked on it. did you know that you wanted to did you have a vision of becoming like a professional was that a goal or did it just kind of like the the path just sort of go that way? Um that's tough. I I didn't know that I wanted to go that way. I definitely didn't know it was possible. And oh. I didn't even know if I wanted to keep racing bikes forever because it was so devastatingly brutal for me the first couple of years. Um, there are, you know, some, some professional cyclists are lucky enough to, um, you know, excel at it really quickly. Uh, they have backgrounds in like endurance sports and, it just comes really naturally to them. And, you know, 
they get a lot of joy from it and find a lot of success in it really quickly. And that was not my story at all. Uh, I was not, not just like bad at bike racing for the first couple of years, but like the last person to finish the race for the first couple of years. And like when you're doing a road race and you're like riding alone for a couple hours, sometimes it can be devastating. And I, and I didn't know that I wanted to keep doing it, but I just did. Um, it, there was something, uh, there was something about the potential to, to keep getting better and kind of like trusting that I was going to get better one day that, that made me keep want to trying, want to keep trying. Um, so, so I, I did, um, against my better judgment, maybe. And it seems like you, you probably did get incremental gains throughout the process or throughout the journey. Like it wasn't just like two years later, like, okay, now I'm getting better. Like it's, it's a gradual incline plane that like, oh, I'm getting better. Were you noticing those results or that improvement? Yeah, um, I was. And it was, while it was gradual, it was non-linearly gradual. Oh, interesting. While there was like a comprehensive trend of slowly getting better and better, there would still be like one thing that felt really good, um, followed by two or three things that just like absolutely sucked. Um, so, uh, I think that's, I guess, important for anyone to keep in mind. That's like not, not even just trying racing, but just trying to get into riding bikes that like, it's not just going to like get better each time you ride or get better each time you race. Like it's not a linear path to feel good about riding bikes. Right. And like, it it makes me think about how it's like the journey. Oh, I'm, I'm almost losing this train of thought too. Uh, So it's, you know, sure. There's like you say like, Oh, this thing's doing good, but these three things aren't doing good. So then it, it sounds like it, you know, it almost becomes like a, a mind game and, and this can kind of fold into any discipline or practice someone has is, you know, it's easy to focus on stuff that's not working. Like it's so easy to do that. And I think that the, the practice, like, it's like working out a muscle in our mind. That's like, okay, but this thing is happening. And you know, like, it's not all bad. And and also taking moments to look back like, oh shit, like I was so horrible at this a while ago. And you know, you're, as you progress through anything, you're kind of always at that edge of like the worst, uh, the worst point it can be at any given moment because it's always generally going to be getting better, which is just kind of an interesting thing. Like, oh, like, so if you're always at that, like, the crappiest point you can be at any given time. It's, it's almost like a a paradigm shift of like, you know what? It's not about being the worst version of this. This is in a sense, also the best version of it that you could ever be too at that point. Cause you know, in the future it it can kind of go any which way. I might've just painted myself into a corner. No, I think you painted yourself into talking about how that could and does relate to like the creative process and to just like trying something new and like having that perspective about bike racing and understanding that it's not linear and they're going to be failures and um having a failure doesn't mean that you're 
doing it wrong or that it's not what you mean it to be, but it's just part of your process, uh, creative or bike racing or another endeavor. Does that make sense? A hundred percent too. And then the, I, there's like this famous quote of uh, a failure is an opportunity to learn which is like a great philosophy to go off of. Again, it's like a practice that's really difficult to apply in real life because it's like, oh, it feels gross or it's not as good as it could have been or it was at one point. But it really, if we don't fail, we don't improve. And it's it's so hard to like understand that in the core, like understanding that, you know, mentally, like, oh, sure. No, I get it. Totally. But to like encapsulate that is, is it's way easier said than done. It is. And it's, it's, it's not as easy as just like convincing yourself that that process is okay. Um, and I mean, it's great that you're talking about it because like, as I've said to you before, like I, I see you as a successful incredible talented artist and like I had no idea that this was something that like someone like you goes through too and so it makes me less fearful to you know try something new or like be comfortable in my own creative process and um it's worth visiting yeah I mean it's kind of this like feeling of discomfort like being okay with discomfort which is uncomfortable Imagine that, like, <laughs> and a lot like bike racing, like maybe or riding your bike, like maybe exclusively that is what bike racing is like. Is like understanding that you're going to be uncomfortable and um, it's it's going to hurt at times, and um, trusting that like hopefully you're a little less uncomfortable than everyone else in the bike race, and um, that discomfort is part of part of success and sometimes if you're extremely lucky and the stars align part of winning yeah that's a really interesting one because it seems like I would assume it's almost always just like uncomfortable because it's so you're kind of like pushing yourself to that edge like you're kind of building up to this moment of like a race where you're like okay like everything to this training sucks too but it, it racing, which I don't race, so I'm talking a little out of school, is like blasting into the hardest version of that to get your greatest potential out of it. And then you're just like, it's kind of, you never know if you're going to win. Oh, yeah. this is actually an interesting one. So some people that are really competitive, they'll have this thing about, and I'm curious how this is for you. Like I've heard that uh, people say, uh, I dislike the feeling of losing more than I like the feeling of winning. Well, do you ever like, so these people, it's like so competitive, so intense that and it, there's many ways to look at that, uh, you know, thing, that yeah. cup of is, you know, there's multiple perspectives on it. You know, some people just like to push themselves. Some people really want to win, but you know, they understand if they don't, but there's like this funny theme of like highly competitive people that are often really winning a lot is it kind of cracks into this level of it's like mentally unhealthy because they're so focused on winning in like a gross way. 
It's not even like, I love winning. It's like I said, like, I hate losing so much that it's only <laughs> it, it, a demon chasing sort of thing. <laughs> Running away from them. Yeah, that, that's, com that's completely accurate. Um, there can be a really unhealthy approach to being competitive and um, wanting to not lose. And um, if I'm being honest, that was a big driver in, in me for racing um, for, for a handful of years. Um, and, you know, that competitive part of me really had to shift away from measuring my success in just winning and, um, you know, not losing to, to something more of like my success can be measured in my effort and, um, you know, doing the best that I can as cheesy as it sounds and just like, um, seeing how hard I can push myself. And, um, you know, it, it takes a lot to really shift from that feel. It feels toxic. Um, and it feels like it's driven from fear also of, of not wanting to fall short and not wanting to feel inadequate. And so there were so many layers of that type of approach to cycling and to racing and to just like, living my life and working and engaging in relationships that I, I wasn't motivated to seek and engage in things that were life-giving, that were enriching. I was just fear motivated of, of not, I just didn't want to fail and I didn't want to fall short. And so that, that meant winning. And, um, that was the only way in which I could feel really successful in, in bike racing is not just winning, but not losing. And it manifested itself in a lot of really bummer, um, you know, angry, um, insecure ways. Yeah. And it's, I feel like it seems so easy to kind of slip into that. It, it almost like identifying with winning. It's like a drug. Cause when you win, that's like, that's a the high high right and then you kind of I don't know maybe did, did it feel like you kind of get I don't know if it's did you feel like you got used to that or that you like it's like almost like oh no like I never want to let this go or was I'm trying to understand it like the the fear of not ever having that again yeah the fear of not having it again the fear of um you know, understanding that I expect it of myself now and what will happen to me when I no longer succeed, um, which, like I said, I measured success in just winning. And so it was like, what's going to happen when I stop succeeding or if I move to the next level and I don't succeed there? Doesn't mean I'm not good enough. Doesn't mean like I should just quit. Like, um, does it mean I shouldn't even try and just like stay doing local races and not even put myself out there and, you know, exert that kind of energy if it means that I, you know, if there's any chance that I could lose. This is like a really interesting subject because I, I feel like I don't hear many people talk about this. It's like the poison of winning or the like, this is sort of a weird analogy, but like the the Midas touch, like once you've got the thing, it's like, it starts to corrupt them or like the precious, precious, like, yeah. 
and it starts to corrupt your mind. You're like, no, I need to do everything to keep this. And it's, it, it infuses your perception of reality. It kind of talk, toxifies your, your one's mind, it sounds. Yeah, yeah, it did. It made me afraid. It, it made me fearful and insecure um, to try to do anything that I wasn't sure of. Um, I was afraid to, like, put myself out there in, in so many ways, like, um, to move somewhere new, to... Yeah, like I said, go to a race that I wasn't sure that I would do well in, um, to even like do rides that I knew would be hard. I didn't want to do like, I would, you know, be invited on group rides with, um, with friends that I knew would be like a ton of climbing and climbing has never felt natural to me. And I would just not go and miss out on experiences and friendships and connections and so many things in my life because, it was a toxin. Like it made me afraid to, to fail basically. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting too, cause it seems like from an outside perspective is it, is it could also have this potential to make somebody like ultra confident, like overconfident, like I win, like I'm the best, like I'm so good at everything, which is another version of that poison actually. Yeah. It's because I was safe because I stayed in the domains that I knew that I could control because I didn't do anything that I knew that I couldn't control. I, I didn't want to go to big races because I knew that I would win everything locally. So like, interesting, you know, I wouldn't go on rides where I knew that I wouldn't do well. Um, so it was in my control. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And it sounds like, again, the, like outside perspective, hindsight is twenty twenty. that it sounds like what would have been really healthy is to like lose a race, do something yeah. that you're not good at, like do some bad things, feel that discomfort to sort of like, to realize even that like, oh, maybe this discomfort, it's not going to kill me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly what, what happened is, um, <laughs> I had some regional success and um won uh you know a national calendar race and got picked up by a pro team and wow. just like got my shit rocked like repeatedly and you know I was a contracted writer on a professional team and I can't just call up my director and be like oh you know I don't feel safe and comfortable going to these races where I know I won't win. So don't be on the roster. Like you'll get fired. Right. So I just had to, um, I had to, uh, reevaluate and remeasure the way that I saw success in bike racing. Um, which ultimately was probably my demise because I didn't still have that, um, you know, I, w I wasn't willing to compromise that, that, you know, my success should be in just like gauging my effort as, you know, doing, doing the most that I could and trying as hard as I could. And that was okay because pro bike teams don't measure that as okay and success. Um, so, uh, ultimately, um, yeah, those kinds of scenarios of like being thrown into having to fail over and over and over again is 
necessary to change your perspective. And it, is that kind of how you felt for you? Is that kind of helped un, untie the knot, like melt that block? Or did it just tie a different knot? Um, maybe, maybe a little bit of both. Um, I think, I think it more tied a different kind of knot, um, less of, you know, it, it fostered less of that part of me that was, um, felt safe and comfortable winning and, you know, created a different kind of feeling of a different kind of insecurity and a different kind of feeling of falling short and, um, you know, being put in that setting, uh, just affected so many areas of my life of being like a, of an angry, um, you know, person that wanted to control every part of their setting to instead being someone that was insecure and, um, you know, afraid of falling short in a, in a really sad, um, in, in more of a like sad way than an angry, fearful way. Um, and so it took a lot, um, of leaning on people in my community and some, um, really wonderful folks in my life to like, work that that helped ask me the right questions of what I thought it would look like to feel good about bike racing um and in turn feel good about my entire life to get me to this this different perspective of being okay and happy just trying my best that's interesting that that's a cool idea or angle of like okay in right now is uncomfortable life is not happy this and that but what it what would it look like if it was and was that kind of like the crack in the door that was like, because then once you started to like dream or vision of like what's possible, it's almost just like a mental shift. You're like, oh, what if it was like just being okay with where I'm at or like having satisfaction in my day to day or whatever the things are that make life feel good. Yeah. And, and, and engaging in those kinds of dialogues when I was, you know, when I was so hurt and felt so discarded and, and people asked me those questions really taught me a lot about how to love on people in my life now, when it's not as simple as me just saying like, you have this problem, here's some empathy, here's what I think you should do to fix it. You know, a lot of it is, um, is asking those kinds of questions, um, where that really fosters, um, healing for me for my process especially when like you know I'm a person that really could have benefited from from a therapist and you know being having not having that resource be available um or feasible for me um was was really tough and I know that I'm really lucky to have had that experience and to you know have that kind of growth in that moment very lucky did uh have you ever read many you know, the next best thing to like a therapist is like reading self-help books, which self-help always is so stupid sounding to me. It sounds like so embarrassing, but that shit fucking works a hundred percent. Like, were you ever able to like be exposed to just like, cause you know, for the longest time I didn't even know like, Oh, you can read books about this stuff. Like who knew? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, the same way that, 
people have really different learning styles, you know, uh, like some people are kinesthetic learners and need to do a puzzle in order to understand how to do a puzzle. And other people are visual learners and they can see someone else assemble a puzzle and then they can do it themselves. Or some people, you know, can have instructions read to them and then without seeing it, they know how to solve the puzzle. Totally. And, and for me, I'm, I'm just not that kind of learner where I can, and you know, it's completely possible that I haven't had the right resources presented to me. Um, but that wasn't, uh, that's not my kind of learning style to, to read about those kinds of instances, um, where we can apply this kind of method for healing and this and that. And these are the things that you can think of and do. It was really more of like an engaging dialogue with people that know me and care for me that really helped me. Yeah, right. Like that human element, that energy transfer, like love at the simplest version of it. Like, and, a, and a give and take, you know, asking questions to one another and, you know, an active dialogue as opposed to just a very one way, like, I'm going to take this thing in and process it myself. That's hard for me and I'm sure hard for a lot of people. That's really interesting, too. And I love the metaphor of like the back and forth is like yin and yang, uh, like energy currents of like electricity, positive, negative. Like it's like this cycle, uh, like uh, life and death. When we we eat, we eat something that's alive and it's dead. And it's like this constant, like give and take, give and take back and forth. Uh, I just like when that shows up in many different ways, consistently in all these different forms. So thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. (laughs) Was the... I don't never raced on a team, but a lot of this stuff you were talking about was, is, was with road racing and, um, was part of the, or how much of the, of like the, in the dynamic of the fact that from what I understand, road racing is like, there's the, like the leader and everybody else that supports the winner. Like, is that kind of play into the the mind games of it where you're like, I used to be winning a lot and now I'm just supporting this person or not? I don't know. Maybe you were still the main person. I I don't know. I mean, sometimes I got opportunities to be the main person, um, which like presented its own challenges. Mm. But yeah, you're right. There are definitely a lot of different roles amongst a team. There are road captains. There are GC riders um, that were protecting there's people that get in the early break. There are people that are reserving themselves for a lead out. And then there's a sprinter that like really, really reserves themselves. And, and I did get to ride in that role as a sprinter. It was like crippling. Like it was, it was, it was, you just have like fleeting moments where you have to make a choice. And you, if you make the wrong choice, it's like, well, I just conserved all of my energy for this three and a half hour race. And it came down to a three and a half second moment that I, that I, I blew it. Like, and so it was, um, completely, (laughs) uh, yeah, the, the pressure was, was, um, unbelievable. And, um, it kind of like made me like cycle cross so much, I think, because there were so many more moments for you to mess up and then make it right. You know, like you can, you can not write a corner as good as you should have, or like 
you know, if there's a little feature that you um, have a hard time writing, like you can try to write it better and better each lap. And they're like, like all these moments where you can fail and succeed and, and, you know, not do good and do better the next time. Um, so I think that's why I like cyclocross. And then did cyclocross come, that's kind of where, is that where it entered your life? Is It sounds like maybe there was like this Indiana Jones moment where it was like, oh, maybe I'll just <laughs> flip into this yeah. a little more. Yeah, very much so. Um, I, I didn't really dabble in cross. I just like, um, completely dove into it because the moment I tried it, I was like, this is, this is it. I like this. So I like this. I like the amount of time that this effort is. I like, um, how engaged I have to be, you know, with, with road racing so much, like it's hard to stay engaged. Um, for me, um, it's hard for me to stay focused and like, uh, stay engaged, not only for those really long races where a lot of stuff is happening that you're not supposed to be a part of, and you're just supposed to sit and wait. Um, that was hard for me. And, you know, the training that came along with that was really hard too. So then like I started doing cyclocross and the training was so much different and, and, you know, harder and more engaging and more fun to be honest. And, um, and so naturally the, the racing felt that way too. It was more engaging and more fun. And um, yeah, it was easy just to make a really quick transition. And I um, kind of dropped road and went pretty well all in for cyclocross. And then was it, did you go straight into single speed with that or did it kind of, you play around for a little bit? Yeah, I, um, my first cross bike was a single speed and, um, I have a geared bike that I, I love riding and I train on a ton, but, um, for racing, there's something just so pure about a single speed, uh, bike that, that makes me race better. I think, um, just because like if something is hard and a section is hard and like, I wish I had an easier gear, like I just, I don't like, I just have to deal with the choices that I made and like ride it out. And it makes me a better racer, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like there is something, I'm actually surprised that single speed isn't like more of like the main version of cyclocross because it, it really does seem to pair very well. It, it, that's obviously like a pretty general statement because there's so many kinds of courses and stuff too. Uh, do you, do you have to like, are you changing your gearing on each race? It's yeah, kind of a novice question. <laughs> no, it's all right. It, it totally depends on the course, you know, like totally. one, one gear, uh, that there's a really hard course rolling thunder here in Montana that has a ton of elevation gain. And it's so tough because totally. there are flat sections, but then like another side of it is basically going up and down this hillside. And so like, it's so hard to pick a gear sometimes because uh. you have to, you know, feel like you have enough gear to climb comfortably and you have to have enough gear to like make up some ground on the flats if you need to. And like, especially if you're racing against people with gears, like you have to really think about those decisions carefully and also know yourself as a rider, you know, know if you, if you do better with, mm. you know, having a higher cadence and really right. staying on top of the pedals, or if you do, if you're a masher and you just do better and just like grind in and out. So it's tough to choose gear. You say that, and I just imagine Lucas Strain with like the barliest, burliest gear through the four feet of mud, just like, rah, but actually yeah, just being like, "Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
that's funny. Um, so when you went into, well, I guess two questions. Cyclocross, cyclocross single speed, is it um, all genders or is it just male, female? Like how is it, cause it's a smaller category and it depends on where you are in the world. Right, yeah, because like if you're in Portland, single speed category is the highest highest attended category. And maybe um, in the nation, is, is it maybe one of the higher? It's got to be in it, the nation. It seems well. like it, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, on the race day itself, um, it's definitely the highest attended category. Oh. And so there are enough, yeah, within a cross crusade. Like there are far more um, single speeders than there are in the pro one two category. Um, Whoa. Yeah, it's great. Um, and uh, so we have enough in Oregon that the two categories can be split. Um, and, you know, some regions where, where there are some single speeders, but not a lot, they might just have one open single speed categories. And other times they don't have anything and you just got to like saddle up and ride your single speed with the Pro 1-2 field. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's very location and event based it's you yeah. never know what you're gonna oh so sometimes you get kind of screwed then because i would or not i don't know that's actually if you're if you're really yeah it depends upon your perspective and what you get out of racing but like true I, you could be screwed or you could like be stoked and see it as like you gotta race so much harder and so much smarter because you're racing against people with an advantage to have gears and you don't um so there's definitely a couple of different spins on it. And I, I love the challenge of having to go toe to toe with people with gears. Yeah. So, and then actually that kind of, so it sounds like then you were able to shift your perspective on racing and now how do you sort of perceive, like, what is your perception of, it, of your experience entering a race or going through a race? Yeah. I mean, I, that, that's, a good question um because it's it's even been magnified being on a single speed now because i've chosen now oh. to race single speed in pro one two categories and like i my perspective is now like this is my equipment and i ride it because i like it and it means this race is going to be harder for me and i don't know who i'm going to be racing and what they're coming with and i just have to ride like to the best of my ability with what I have. And it makes racing so much more interesting for me to know that I'm at a deficit sometimes and know that that means that I have to make up for it in other ways has made racing far more rewarding. Yeah, like it almost pulls yourself out of the equation in a sense. You're like, it's just so flipped on its head that it doesn't, it's not about me or winning or this or that. It's kind of just about the experience of, does it feel like you're kind of racing against yourself in a sense? Yeah. So much of it. I mean, especially when there's so many margins for error with cycle cross, like, Oh, interesting. You can, you can miss your pedal on the start line and like the entire race is just over. Like you'll never see those top five ever again. And, or like, or you can, you know, dab and have to unclip on an off-camber hillside and and that's and there go five places too. So it's like it's so much about yourself. Like no one else is controlling those those things 
that you're in control of when you're writing a technical section or, you know, um, it's, it's so much more individual and about yourself than something like road racing where you have to like key off of other people and your fitness compared to everyone else's is really important. And, um, has a lot to do with your enjoyment in the race where like cyclocross is kind of come as you are, which is what I love about it. Like you can be, you know, winning by 30 seconds, or you could be being lapped for your third or fourth time. And you're still, you know, emitting the same effort and you're still on the same race course. Um, and that's really cool. It's the, how does the, professional is there are there teams for cross like so yeah, you went there. from road it's like a team it's a whole thing and then you cross but is cross is it individual there are, there are more there are definitely teams in cycle cross and definitely programs um i think there are less like team tactics that are executed in a cross race totally. um because the teammates are very rarely like racing near or around one another um because <laughs> everyone for themselves like cool fucking kind kind of yeah <laughs> uh and uh and there are far more like privateers or people that race um alone without any any teams in cyclocross than there are with road like with road it's really hard to be uh, a privateer and just be not on a team because who's going to be in the fee zone for you like if if you have a mechanical or a flat or you need to go back to the team car for, for bottles. There's no team car. Like you're on your own and unsupported and it's hard to do that. Interesting. Privateer. That's the term. For yeah. Like a I would consider myself to be a privateer. Oh, really? You're, you're a privateer, Dustin. Do you know that? Uh, yes, I am a solo tier <laughs> for sure. No teams over here. <laughs> uh, but wait, do you really consider yourself a privateer now? Yeah. I, oh. I'm not on a team. I now have a group of partners and sponsors um, oh. that support me individually in different facets. Um, yeah. And that feels really good because, you know, this, this certainly isn't true of all teams, but I know and I have experienced team settings where it feels like it's a bad thing to be an individual and a person. And you're just meant to be like, a cog and you know like you're just meant to be part of the machine and like it it felt hard to be on teams before where those parts of myself that I really liked and felt empowered by were ended up being a hindrance to this bigger team picture um so being you know working with sponsors and partners as something that I'm doing by myself feels so much better because these people are only working with me because they see me and you know appreciate those parts of me and those parts of me are things that contribute to what they're trying to do too versus me trying to like be on a team and meet their expectations and um it sounds like you know um it sounds I guess like kind of selfish that I I just want but but that's where I am like I want to work with people and brands that you know are see me and appreciate me and know my value and merit for for what it is and not what it should or could be yeah i love i'm 
completely understand. I love the fact that you're doing that. I do the same. I do the same thing. Like, I actually didn't. I was really curious about this. Like, I wasn't sure if you were on a team, but you kind of seem like a in in like an isolated athlete. But I didn't know if that actually existed in cycling. Is it kind yeah, of? Yeah. Is it uncommon? Especially, especially in off-road things. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Naive question. Wait. Do you race mountain bike stuff now? Yeah, okay. I I did um, a handful or a few mountain bike races before I had a really bummer crash in the beginning of XC season last year, or more at the beginning of XC season last oh. year. Um, so I haven't like had a chance to like try to keep doing it and get better at it, but um, I I got healthy and ready just in time for racing to not not ever happen again in 2020 so it's okay hashtag rona <laughs> it's funny that like uh, you know a lot of athletes are like this year being like oh my gosh like what happens if i don't get a race this year like and i have commitments with sponsors and i have these things that i have to do that i was counting on doing and like what if none of those things get to happen and like i was there last year like if you've ever been in you know had a crash or an injury that's severe enough that you don't ride or exercise for a couple months like you know what that's like and you're ready for this dialogue in your brain of like yep it might not happen might not might not ever happen this year like lucky if we can ride together you know yeah well i mean that's like the plight of the athlete or like elite athlete is injury is just i mean constantly playing with fire so <laughs> no one can be surprised when it's like oh i'm hurt it's like yeah you're fucking always dabbling on towing that line of like being hurt you know yeah um the oh so do do mountain does mountain bike racing do, are there teams in that or is that more like solo there there is yeah there there are off-road programs for sure that that um get really like a really great amount of support and you know gray? a lot of those oh great did you say great yeah. or gray great oh, okay super good a very yeah. gray amount of support is pretty questionable out there it's <laughs> a cup of water that's kind of it pat on the back maybe yeah uh so it's um yeah they a lot of the off-road pro programs do a lot of different disciplines um so they'll mm. have like mm you know, a title sponsor, that's a bike manufacturer and that makes bikes in all these different disciplines. So as a result, they'll have an XC team and an enduro team and a cyclocross team. Uh, so it's pretty cool. 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 Oh, wait, so I get, seems like a good opportunity. Who is supporting you right now? Uh, funny you should ask. I, um, my my bike sponsor for this year and moving forward is called Forecast Bicycles. They uh, are hand hand built bikes out of Vancouver, uh, Canada. So cool! Pretty excited. Uh, my new XC bike comes in the mail uh, any day now, oh, and cool. um, yeah, so I'm working with them, and I work with Eliel and Oakley Bike, and oh, cool. Hand up gloves. Sick. I adore. And the wonderful folks at Easton and Raceface and Fox. Oh, that's a pretty decent lineup. Yeah. 
Cool. It's great. I'm very lucky. Yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. For not having like done much in mountain bikes or, you know, anything outside of single speed. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Is, is that the plan? Are you to are are you is the plan to try and or are you interested in doing other types of races or is it still just kind of doing what you're comfortable with? So you, yeah. Yeah. My plan for uh 2020 before racing got, yeah, was to do XC racing, um, a pretty full calendar and then to travel and race single, my single speed cycle cross bike for some bigger UCI cross races was my plan and will be my plan moving forward if, and when racing resumes. Um, uh, yeah, I, I am excited to compete at a higher level. Um, on my single speed and you know like like i've said i feel like i race better on the single speed and you know it's i might not get great results but i know that i'll be there and in the mix and i'll i'll get a lot out of it personally by being challenged in that new way yeah uh, it's cool it's i like that you have kind of overcome this perspective your 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 relationship to competing now sounds much healthier than it used to be yeah, it, it feels really good, and and I'm much more excited about just participating. And just, you know, participating doesn't mean that I won't be, you know, it doesn't mean that I'll be, like, a, a silly speeder that's, you know, not that there's anything wrong with wanting to just go out there and have fun. It's amazing, um, and I love that part of cyclocross, that there's room and space for that. But I think that... Um, I think that there's room for both and that approach has, you know, been really enriching for me in bike racing. The, um, oh, I might've lost that one. <laughs> um, I like that. It, it kind of reminds me of think Chaz, when I was talking with him, it, multifaceted sort of ideas here going is it's cool that to have support, and not feel like you have to win. And it's really cool for these companies to, maybe they do, but it kind of seems like they don't expect like number one placement across the board. Like it's just supporting this person who's just kind of showing up, doing the best they can, just being like the best version of themselves that they can. And it's almost like it's like this new type of athlete and it's fucking cool because it's, very relatable to people it's still like elite and high performance but it's not so results driven which is cool it feels like it's sort of like breaking this new mold of i don't know like influencer athlete type of person yeah you well know, like, i think that the industry is like seeing and acknowledging this type of person because it turns out that like you know most most people that are cyclist cycling enthusiasts and you know want to participate are inspired by like the moms that go race you know or like someone that works two jobs and still gets out there and tries their best and those are the people that we as cyclists connect with and are inspired by and less so of these like untouchable world tour road racers that we have very little to no commonality with, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, 
but still people like myself love to see like elite because you're like oh fucking like they're graceful they're powerful like and it all of this reminds me of skateboarding like people sponsor skaters not for fucking results like who in that culture that's like laughable there are competitions but it is not a top priority so it's i really love that this is like it feels like it's sort of happening a little bit with cycling on this level yes cycling is very uh like competitive or race i don't know how to say like driven or like the racing is kind of the like video part of cycling as it is for skating like it's it's just a component of the culture but i love that it's not so like needs to be number one but still it's these people that are elite and they're crushing and it's fun to just watch them and and then it's interesting too the fact that it's it's almost i would say maybe it's equal parts like the physical ability and then also the personality i think is a huge part of it for Chaz, it's a great example. Like, he is such a personality. His persona is, like, a big part of the thing that, like, draws people to him and, and his support to him. So it's, and I feel like a similar thing for you is it's not just this, like, flat, just race, like, boring person. It's this multidimensional, unique, creative being that shreds on a bike. <laughs> Yeah, if if bike racing uh, culture could be, yeah, just could incrementally move towards skate skateboard culture or what what is you know if if the value is measured similarly, that'd be great. I think there'd be so much room for for so many more people that wanted to contribute and be part of the narrative if it were like that. And when it moves towards that, I hope it does. Yeah, and I think it would, it's kind of fun to just, like, a thought experiment. Like, what would that be? Like, because you, you basically, like, we want to see this person do something that they're really good at. Because it's, it's beautiful to watch. It's, like, inspiring because they're so, like, advanced at it. And, you know, it can motivate you to do your version of it. Like, you know, their best effort to your best effort. It's not about it being the same. It's, it's kind of that... that back and forth of like sharing that stoke that motivation like oh cool they do this rad thing like i'm gonna do my version and it you know if you watch them both you might be like oh that's different it's (laughs) but it's still like kind of you chasing the stoke chasing that fire um a little bit ranty but i don't know what like what could that look like would it be because mountain bike kind of has that there's videos that people produce. Yeah, because they're mountain bikes. Funny though, too, because it won't be like a brand that produces a video. Like skate has teams, which is right. a funny parallel to cycling. But like mountain bike and and like skiing will do these like production companies or productions for videos, and they'll just have all these athletes in it. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, but maybe it could be like. I mean, I guess I think automatically like YouTube, like create your own content, be your own brand. And then, you know, who wants to support the thing? We're looking for helmet sponsors right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please sign up (laughs) for the both Ivy and Dustin are looking for helmet support. So if you, I'm just kidding. Actually, Dustin only makes some some pretty sick helmets these days. What's that? 
Oakley makes some pretty sick helmets. Oh, so. Oakley is, I forget. So they're not just eyewear? No, they're not just eyewear. That's no, right. They make, okay. They make awesome helmets, aero helmets and road helmets and now trail helmets. Oh, whoa. Yeah. With a little, a really slick little like gutter for your sweat in the trail helmet. Whoa, what? Yeah. Which I thought was like totally nerdy and unnecessary at first. And now I am obsessed with it. Because then you don't have to wear, because that's one of the benefits of wearing a cap. Is it's basically like a a cool looking sweatband. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, okay. Why do trail helmets have the visor and road helmets don't? What the hell? Um, the comments are going crazy. I guess, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's for light. It's a sun thing. Maybe it has to do with like your position on the bike and, mm. I know, uh, you know, just like, or the fact that when you're riding trail, there's so, the thing that's, um, that makes it hard to see when you're riding trail is, is the changes in light. So yeah. moving in and out of shade and light. And so to just be able to block it out completely um, helps your helps your vision uh, quite a bit, in my opinion. Those those like transitions between shade and light. Does that make sense? Yeah, but then I say cycling cap under a helmet. Isn't yeah. that the, it's it's almost like closer to your I don't know. I just I'm just curious. It, yeah, but the hel- the the visor thing is cool, though, because you can there are levels. Right. So you can like, you know, you. Oh, wait. Oh, shit. I just got exposed. You can totally flip your cap up, can't you? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Not like the Not like the things uh, that I'm just uh, pantomiming what you're describing. I didn't know you could like <laughs> click, 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 click. Yeah, like that. So, right. There are levels. So, but I mean, you could argue but this level could... is like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it hasn't started yet. But at the end of the yeah. day, you're like, yeah, extreme X Games mode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh that also is just funny the like uh aesthetic the cultural aesthetic difference between mountain bike and road is so stark with like the pants and the fucking camelback and the helmet looks different and you're like why the fuck is this gotta look so different it's like the same thing but bike is so funny yeah well it's it's so different. And then when you start riding in multiple disciplines like that and like really kind of understanding why they do things like that, then you start like mixing and matching them. And then like, and then you're a super nerd, but like, yeah, they're like, this person's super confused. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Like riding trail in like a wool t-shirt feels amazing. And like, you have like snacks and a hip pack. And then it's just so nice that like, you're wearing a breathable shirt that like flaps in the wind. And then I would find myself like kidding up for a road training ride and being like, I don't want to wear, I don't want to zip up like and shove stuff in my pockets. Like I like, like to feel the breeze. So you start to like mix and match and, and then everyone's confused by you. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that gravel is totally this like bastard child in the middle. Cause like Ron always does a hip pack, but then he'll do a jersey with it. And I'm like, well, what do you, you don't really need the one but the other? And then I love overshorts, but nobody else really does overshorts. Like that is one of the things that's super awesome about gravel is there's no it's everything goes. And it's so awesome because it's like whatever you're 
whatever floats your boat, like it's it's good to go. Yeah, equipment, ability level. Yeah, like totally bikes. Like, yeah. Although I would say I see mostly road helmets. That's one I never thought about that till now. It's funny if you see a mountain bike, a trail helmet on a road bike. It looks funny. Like, I, I mean, not to say, you know, you take that one step out of cycling. We all look fucking hilarious. <laughs> but inside that little circle. It, uh, it's like it's like it's like putting your Crocs in X Games mode and putting the strap behind your heel. Like you're what? you're down to get rowdy. but <laughs> right. <laughs> that reminds me on one of the OMTM rides. There's a dude that runs flat pedals and Crocs. Hell yeah. So mind-blowing. That's, that's a vibe. I like it. Dude, that is, that's gnarly. <laughs> They're like squishy and then, I don't know, much respect. Yeah. Yeah, funny. <laughs> I feel like a little lull here. for the, Maybe this is a good, hold on. Today's episode is brought to you by Tasty Beverage. Oh, God, that went everywhere. <laughs> We're going to Liptic Hazy IPA today. Oh, I I just cheers to you. Um, oh. I have I have some, some to flat your wine. wait. To, oh, you're going. Really? Oh, wait, we can cheers like that. Yeah, here you go. To Is the it? left. There you go. There you go. Cheers. Ding. Oh, that's. Oh, I need the sound effect. That's precious. That's you can cool. you can go back. Yeah, you have guys to edit it, right? Yeah, a whole fleet of um. Twenty-two-year-old their... interns. That are just like. Totally fresh out of college, like I want to conquer the world. <laughs> I got about seventeen of those. Although recently, someone did hit me up recently and was like, "Do you want me to edit your videos?" And it's this full fifty-fifty split where I'm like, "Fuck yes," and then I'm like, "Fuck no." It's really weird. I'm like, "Uh, it's kind of like the vibe is all kind of all about the editing, but it takes a ton of time." Of course, someone else could do it, and obviously, someone could do it better. Yeah, but also, like, how do you tell someone what your style is? Like, for something like video editing, and, like, can they know, do they see it? Like, I feel like you have well, a very distinct, like, style to the way that your videos are formatted, and, like, it would have to be someone that, like, really was already, like, a fan and sees it, I guess. But the thing is, you know, what does the style look like? There's, like, hundreds of videos that show what the style is. The, I... I'm not like if you're really I would say that most people coming out of college are probably like several levels above me in uh, con competency for editing that they'd be like, oh, this guy edits like a four year old, like the <laughs> simplest, like got got it. I could only imagine if you're an editor, you got to do like, OK, a documentary vibe or like an action movie thing or like I, I just make one thing like I can't imagine like. It's like being a musician and playing all these different genres. Yeah, or like doing web development as a minor like seven years ago. And now with all of the like languages for... Now I like look at the source code of a page and I'm like, ah, oh, yes, this computer page is made of internet. Like, I don't know anything anymore. Like, oh, you went, is that what you went to school for? Was coding? It, it was, it was part of my minor. My major was communication studies and I minored in web development and journalism. Oh, this seemed like very 
as a, I feel like a parent would be like, all right, you'll find something with that. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I am going to spend a lot of money on this. How many things can I, like, how many ways can I make job paths for myself from this? Um, so it was more, is, you know, the journalism and web development thing was more of like a, like a media umbrella type of minor. Um, and in retrospect, I, I shouldn't have spent any energy on the web development thing because like, you know, do you remember MySpace? Like oh, I used yeah. to like in like put like a like effect code into my MySpace and then be like, oh yeah, Sick. I can code. Sick. Yeah, I know what to do. So like I shouldn't. I, that doesn't necessarily mean that I should have you know considered it as a potential career path. Um, <laughs> like I love making my font bigger. <laughs> yeah, I love putting snow on my MySpace because I'm 18 <laughs> and it's winter time. Like you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I hear you, uh, editing sounds, sounds tough. And these, these kids probably know far more than we do about everything. That's true. Yeah. That's my mind goes in all kinds of versions of just getting, as you go through the path of life, you start understanding all the like, Oh, and then you're like, Oh, and then you see someone younger and you're like, oh, they're in this, but then they think I'm weird because of this and I am weird because of that. <laughs> it's just like, man. Oh, and th th this goes to like one of my favorite, I guess this is a pet peeves, but one of the, whenever anybody, this applies to every single person except the oldest person in the world. Whenever anybody says, oh, I'm so old now. To anybody that's older than that person, you sound like a fucking fool. Yeah. It's just, think about it. Separate for just a hot second. Uh -huh. You're like, uh, so what does that say about all of these other people that have... It doesn't say like it's a bad thing. Like... Exactly. Like... Getting older. Like, oh, are you... Or, or not, I guess. But, you know, I like getting older. That is so refreshing to hear. Because... Oh, then I feel like so many people, the narrative is like complaining about it. You're like, shut up. It's inevitable. Like what? The other alternative is to just stop. Like there's yeah. no other thing. It's always getting older. Yeah. Why like corrupt your spirit by like hating yourself for getting old and instead just being like, I'm here are more opportunities to, to grow from all of the shit that has happened mm. and be better for it. I like that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and I guess, is that called, hmm, I, I feel like this is dangerous, but is that called wisdom? Uh-oh, careful. That oh, is dangerous. I think <laughs> wisdom is like a weird one because I, it feels almost like what we were talking about with like um, the corruption of competition, the like poison thinking, like thinking that you're, oh, I'm gaining wisdom is like, feels like a slippery slope of, I don't know. There's something about it that like, it sounds really enticing. Like, yeah, I want to have as much wisdom as possible, but it sounds like not, I don't know how to articulate that. No, it, it seems like there's a balance of like, you know, seeing, seeing this stuff that we can learn from and grow from and turning it into wisdom versus like actively pursuing it to the degree of like, that's what you're after. I think there's maybe a balance and a bit of a difference. And like, 
never, uh, I don't think, how do I say it? Like not wanting to be wise or like, if you think that you have wisdom, you're kind of missing it, but it's people, you know, wise people don't think that they're wise. Yeah. I agree with that. Wise people, I think know that there's a lot more things that could happen and a lot, you know, a, a great number of different events and perspectives that, yes. that are there. Yes, and that you have, and things that you have no idea about. There's so much that we'll never know. Like, there's no, no one's ever going to know it all. And that we won't be able to know as, as, you know, as white people in North America. There are many perspectives that, like, we can hear of and try to understand that we can't attribute to wisdom. Huh, that's an interesting, that sounds like the race thing, too, is like, there's we'll never of course we'll never understand it all but there is there's uh, finding like a certain amount of because also it's kind of overwhelming like whoa we're never going to be able to understand everything sounds obvious but which sounds also like oh am i always going to be like dumb then because i won't be able to understand it all but just knowing that you can't understand it there's like a certain amount of freedom in that to just, I don't know what that part is, to just something, to just be okay with where you're at. Yeah. Sounds I like. I agree with that. Sounds like, and then there's a cat hanging and they're wet and you're just like, hang in and there. And it's like, hang in there. Yeah. You got it, little buddy. <laughs> yep. Uh, maybe we should end it on the motivational poster. Yeah, I feel really good. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that uh, I think that's about. All right. Uh, how, let's see. We hurry. We wrap these things up. I forget. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. Uh, if you would like to learn more about the inner workings of Ivy's life, check her out on Instagram at Ivy Audrain. and we'll see you here next week, same time, same channel.